This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you in part by American Underdog from Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine, based on the true story of championship-winning quarterback Kurt Warner. American Underdog, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested in theaters everywhere Christmas Day. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. What does it mean to be a faithful pastor? The Apostle Paul described himself in Titus 1 as a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Now, further on in that chapter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, Paul outlines in detail the character that every pastor has to have. Among other characteristics, he must be blameless and faithful to his wife, not overbearing, not quick tempered He must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now, compare those biblical qualifications with the lives of America's pastors today. Are they overwhelmingly blameless, holy, and disciplined, encouraging others by sound doctrine, refuting those who oppose it, and all the other characteristics that I've mentioned? Well, yes. Certainly, there are many faithful men who meet the Titus 1 description, but we must also reckon with the reality that, as my next guest says, there seems to be a crisis of leadership in the pulpits of America. Why is that? What kind of leadership do we need from our pastors and what will turn the crisis around, especially at a time when our nation is sinking into sin and godlessness? We're going to dive into all of this today with Shane Eidelman, founder and lead pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship in California and founder of the Great Westside Christian Fellowship Radio Network, wcfradio.org. And he is launching a new podcast as well called Pastors Unplugged. Lots going on in Shane's life. And Shane, we're just so glad you could take some time to be with us today. How are you? I'm doing great. It is so good to be here because we're talking about very important topics, especially on your program. You do that well. So it's a pleasure to be here as always. Thank you, Shane. Why do you think there's a crisis of leadership in the pulpits of America? What is going on that leads you to really be concerned about that? How much time do we have? We have an hour. So go ahead. (laughs) Uh, Well, the short answer is... What is coming out, and we can list how many ministries that have, have fallen recently from the past couple of years ago, whether it's abusive leadership or moral failings, or it's just, it seems like the list is endless, and those kind of teetering on the brink of, of a moral failing as well that, that, that is out there, it's, it's common knowledge, but um, it has to really do with their relationship with the Lord, uh, my, myself included, that, that deep, intimate, abiding relationship with God. And I remember reading a book about 20 years ago, they interviewed um, like 280 top Christian leaders who fell. And at the top of that list was their intimacy with God was, was no longer because they were too busy. Hmm. Uh, too busy. A lot of them said it would never happen to me, so pride gets in there. And then 80% of them uh, fell, the 80% who fell, they had counseled those in the opposite sex. So I think it's, it's, it's wisdom, it's boundaries, but it's ultimately that relationship with God. The closer we draw to Him through prayer and, 
and his word and application of his word and desire to be filled with the Spirit, then, then that's the outflowing. Because uh, nobody can be a good pastor on their own. Right. It's really the, the outflowing work of the Holy Spirit in their heart. Well, it's interesting because I've heard a lot of discussions over the years about the qualifications for the ministry that are outlined in Titus 1 and also 1 Timothy chapter 3. And the comment by a lot of people that in the age where we have a lot of men who will just set up a ministry or found a church, nothing wrong with that, but they say, how much do a lot of these churches really pay attention to the biblical qualifications of certain men? Now, obviously, there are a lot of great men in the pulpits today, but speak to that problem. Shane, because that does strike me as part of the problem, at least, that if we're not following the biblical qualifications for our pastors and we're just kind of, you know, seeing this situation in which men will just take the pulpit and we just have to follow along without holding them accountable to God's word, how much of that becomes a problem? Yeah, and it's interesting you said that because about 10 years ago, I recognized uh, that there was, in our in our zeal to plant churches, we sometimes plant without really having qualified people to lead them. Right. And we saw this in the Acts 29 movement. I don't know if you yep. remember that. Oh, yeah. Um, and, of course, Mark Driscoll and planting tons of churches, and even Southern Baptists, you know, they can, we've got to plant church, we've got to plant this many churches, we got to, and it, it's, it's that drive, to, which is a great drive, we need it, but the, the really you have to look at, are these people qualified according to the, the, uh, everything you just laid out there, yeah. are they qualified to lead the church and then, let, and then let God bless that leadership, let God bless that church? So I think sometimes we put the cart before the horse, uh, number one. And then number two, a lot of people, uh, even churches, they're looking, you know, let's call a pastor with this certain master's degree rather than finding out, does he have a degree from the master? Hmm. You know, so of course education is important. They need to know what they're, they're talking about. They need to know deep theological issues. But ultimately, it's not about notoriety or charisma or status recognition, their degrees. It's about have they spent a lot of time with God? Are they qualified? Yeah. Yeah. Everything you just said is, is God qualifying them to pastor and to lead. So um, there's a lot more to that, but I think that's the, the, the crest of it. The crest of it, sorry. Yeah. My, um, got a lot of my mind here. The, uh, that's the, the, the reason behind it, I think, is they're wanting to plant so many churches and they forget about that the character has to support those church planning movements. Right. So when we talk about the modern age, we can't avoid, I think, discussing the problem of the celebrity pastor. And I know that you have written about this before. And it's one thing. There have been pastors, many pastors throughout history who have become very well known because they were out preaching the gospel and many people were one to the Lord. And that's a a wonderful thing. But in the age of the Internet, it can go off the rails. As you know, Shane, we've seen a lot of these guys fall into the cult of celebrity. And a lot of Christians get caught up in the idea that my pastor is a celebrity. Mark Driscoll is a perfect example of all that. How do you see this whole problem of celebrity versus character impacting the way our churches are not having an impact on the culture the way they ought to? Yeah, and that's exactly why we started uh, Pastors Unplugged, a new podcast just for pastors uh, for that very reason. And it goes, I think a lot of it goes back to what we talked about earlier, that intimacy with God and from that relationship and the brokenness and the humility. However, God, like you said, God will grow a ministry. But we are the gauge of success is what we have to look at. We don't measure success by numbers. We measure them by faithfulness. Yes. And then if God brings the numbers to the faithful preaching of His Word, to the uh, inerrancy of Scripture, and to the humility and the brokenness of the pastor, then, then that's, that's wonderful. But a lot of these guys, hey, I've got a thousand likes on this post, or 
you know, a million people watch my sermon. I must be doing things right. Not necessarily. The world is going to love the way you do church if you're not controversial, if you're not convicting them. And so what we see is um, this person's popular, so they must be hearing from God, and that's absolutely not the case. No. Uh, However, you know, in my area, we've got John MacArthur's church and other ones that are... um, solid. And so we can't measure it on that, because I, I see a lot of people are against the large church as well. No, it's home church movement only. No mega churches. That's not biblical. <laughs> There's well, no sin in the home churches, right, Shane? <laughs> what's that? There's never any oh, yeah, sin. Oh, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, because what I found, and of course, home churches are biblical. There's It's a model. Yeah. But there's a lot of pride in the home churches. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of, of legalism and a lot of pride, and we're doing things the right way. We're the only way to do church. And so you see it across the board. So that's the problem with the celebrity pastor is the Internet has exploded it, and we rate, hey, they must be popular. You, I mean, you look at, a let's say, a pastor who's just on fire for God, you know, a thousand views on YouTube versus uh, a Steve Furnick, whoever, with a million views. Yeah. And you say, oh, this person must be popular. This, I mean, this person is popular. They must be, they must be in tune with God. They must be really hearing from God. This must be God's true spokesman. And that's actually not the case. That's right. not how God rates things. Right, right. It's the faithfulness, as you said before. And it's very interesting. You point out something really significant, I think, Shane, when you're pointing out that on the one hand, if you critique the large churches for having oftentimes men who are too prideful or don't spend enough time with the Lord and really have that intimacy with him that they can then convey from the pulpit, people who then go to the other extreme and say, well, we're not going to be like them. We're the faithful ones. We're in the small churches. Sin and pride are a problem across the board, but I want to get into more on this question of what kind of leadership we really need from America's pulpits right now. We're going to take a very short break and we'll be back with Shane Eidelman from Westside Christian Fellowship. Stay with us. We'll be right back. From Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine comes American Underdog. Undrafted out of college, quarterback Kurt Warner found himself stocking grocery shelves while trying to hold on to his dream to play in the NFL. I have been working for this my entire life. God is going to do something great with you. Based on the true story, American Underdog. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. In theaters everywhere Christmas Day. More information is available at AmericanUnderdogInspires.com. If you're looking for adventure, serving as a volunteer on the Mercy Ship is an adventure like no other. And you'll be serving on the largest non-governmental hospital ship in the world, providing free care to some of the world's poorest people. Whether it's performing a surgery, cleaning the deck, or transporting a patient to a recovery center, every day you'll be making a difference in the lives of struggling people. Begin your adventure today. Connect with us at mercyships.org. It's an adventure of a lifetime. Maybe I can just have my baby. It don't matter what nobody says. 
This is the end of the story of a young mom who planned to end her pregnancy but chose life after visiting a preborn center. Preborn steps into the lives of hurting young women who are being told that a preborn baby is not a life. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct answer to Planned Parenthood, helping young moms choose life. I feel like it was meant for me to have this baby. This is something God gave me for a reason. You can be a part of choosing life with young hurting women across the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today to help save 400 babies by the end of the year. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies from abortion. And now, through a match, your gift of $140 will actually help save 10 babies instead of five. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, dial 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. It's a very important question. Do we have a crisis of leadership in the pulpits of America? You go back in history and you look, for example, at the Black Robe Regiment and the incredible impact that those revolutionary war era pastors had on this nation. And then you look at pastors today and it may be easy to get discouraged. Where are the great men of God? Where are these pastors who will unashamedly preach Jesus Christ and him crucified? And where is the revival that so many of us have been praying for? for for years. Well, Shane Eidelman is with us, founder and lead pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship, and writes about this and this whole idea of a crisis of leadership. Shane, I want to get your take on what kind of leadership is lacking. What should pastors be exhibiting in terms of their leadership right now that in large measure is not there? Oh, I think that's pretty easy across the board, and we can you can see it from where you're at and where I'm at and, you know, the internet, television, whatever it is. There's a, there's a huge deficit, and, or whatever you want to call it, a lack of boldness. And I don't mean arrogance. I don't mean loud and mean. I mean a boldness to confront the woke culture, yes. a boldness to conf- confront CRT, a boldness to confront these things that are directly opposing the Word of God. And there just seems to be that lack of boldness. They want to have a conversation. They don't want to upset people. They want to be motivational speakers. And that really doesn't change the heart. You mentioned revival, and I love studying revivals and, and books on revivals. And they always start, you know, of course, with prayer meetings, but also there's a, a boldness of the pastor or of the preacher. There's a return to the, the fear of God, the, the, the inerrancy of Scripture, the, the, the blood of Christ and the judgment of God. There's a, there's a boldness and a fear in turning back people back from uh, the broad road to destruction back to Christ. And Amen. there's a call to repentance. And so that's what we're lacking. Uh, we've, want, we've wanted to become uh, popular instead of powerful. And we're rating, you know, uh, John Piper wrote a great book, you know, Brothers, We Are Not CEOs, or something along that line many years ago. And that's really addressing a lot of what is happening, that, that CEO, motivational speaker, uh, we're here not to offend. We're not here to upset. But again, I think that goes back to that time that they're, or the lack of time that they're spending with God. It, it, can you imagine if you're, if you're up early, you're saying, God, I want to be empty this morning. I repent of my pride. Show me through your word what you want me to preach. Lord, the unadulterated word, the totality of it, whatever it is, Lord, help me and empower me. 
Yeah. Man, could you imagine? That's what we need. That's what we exactly. need. And But you're right. There is a lack of boldness. And it seems to me also a lack of courage. Isn't that what really is underpinning a lack of boldness? If you don't have the courage yes. of biblical conviction, then why would you open your mouth with any boldness? Seems yeah, it starts. They go together. Yeah, they go yeah. together. It starts in the human heart. So what's going on? Well, what? a couple things. If you divide, I, I don't have the Barner research in front of me. Uh, but, you know, how many churches, I think it's like 72% now, do not really believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Ugh. So what is, so that leaves us, let's just say for the sake of numbers, let, that leaves us 6,000, 8,000, 10,000 solid churches, you know, that do adhere to Scripture. Right. And then from that, how many of those pastors, you know, have their own agenda, are just uh, in it for the superstar mentality, everything we just talked about, likes and followers, wanting to be liked, wanting to be a motivational speaker. And you take from that number, how many are truly spending time with God, intimacy with Him, filled with the Spirit? Because like A.W. Tozer said, who a pastor is all week is who they'll be when they step to the pulpit. <laughs> you know, they have to turn off the Netflix and the social media and get, and get time in God's Word and prayer and fasting. And then from that reservoir of spending time with God, that desperation comes the boldness and the courage and the filling of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we're lacking. But it's hard. It's, it's, it takes humility, and that's why when you asked me to talk about this topic, you know, obviously um, I, I had to approach it with humility, because who am I to tell pastors, you know, I haven't mastered it. I'm not perfect. I'm a work in progress. But if we recognize, Lord, we are, we are lost without you. We're, we're desperate to hear from you. We need to be broken. We need to be humbled of our pride and of our arrogance. And, and then from that wellspring of, of living water, uh, you, you, you preach your sermons, you prepare your sermons, and, and that's where you see lives radically change. You're right about that. And you don't have to be a perfect pastor in order to point out the problem, Shane, because right. I know that you're, you're also including yourself when you're talking about what we need to be or what pastors need to be. We're also in this age, and I'd love to get your take on this. Uh, of late, we have had more problems with plagiarism. Ed Litton, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, who has not repented fully and resigned as president of the SBC, which in my mind is unconscionable, and a whole lot of people who protect him. Now we find out uh, when that scandal broke that there are lots and lots and lots of men out there who don't even write their own sermons. They're getting them written for them. They are, I mean, it's turned into a racket. You have a lot of people in Christian publishing who aren't writing their own books. This has been a problem for a while. And I think when you talk about the pastor needing to be filled himself and have that reservoir of fellowship, deep fellowship with the Lord himself in order to minister effectively to his people, how do we get that back in an age where people just want to do the, all these shortcuts and, and cut corners on character in order to be big deals? Because this is a crisis in my mind. And that's, you're, you're, you hit the nail on the head because when all this is exposed, it does wake people up. Uh, when pastors are stepped down, when this is exposed, when COVID really exposed the true church of Jesus Christ from those who are just um, wanting to capitulate. And yes, so yes. all this exposure is taking place. Um, and it, what happens is that you can get lazy. Uh, there's, there's no accountability. A lot. How many of the pastors are led by a plurality of elders? I mean, that's what we have at our church, where other men can speak into your life. You're not the CEO. Uh, everything doesn't sur- uh, center around you. You're not the final shot caller. You have to submit to that plurality of elders, and hopefully it's a good group of people, of course. Right. But a lot of the people that you're talking about, I think, are kind of above that, and they're kind of, you know, they're the boss, so to speak. 
and that can foster a lot of laziness. You can become busy. But I've never understood buying or paying for or using a different uh, sermon because a, a true sermon comes from the prayer closet when you're in God's Word and God is depositing uh, thus saith the Lord. He's putting into your heart what to say. It's, it's, it's based on your personality, your upbringing, your experience, how God has shaped you, your past. And the sermon is really, uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, preaching is theology coming from a man who is on fire. Right. And so this, 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 you're preaching yourself in the sermon. It's who you are, what you've learned, what God's Word says, the practical application of it. So to go and use someone else's material... You know, it, it's very, um, I think you lose the power, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You lose uh, the freshness, and it just becomes going through the motion. Plagiarism is something else. Um, I've, I've tried over the years, if I'm going to quote someone, to make sure you footnote that somewhere so it's not forgotten. Um, there you because go. I have taken things and, like, you know, forgotten eight years ago that I pulled it from A.W. Tozer's book. Yep. And so you have to, you know, a sentence here or there, so you have to really be methodical about it. It has to be God-honoring and, uh, and just understanding that when you quote people, you actually add, add a higher level of respect. You don't have to say, like, you thought of this. You came up with it. That, it's back to pride. Exactly. To, yes. You know, our own education. Look what I thought. I like yep. to quote these people and show my lack of experience, but their lack of ex- experience in these certain areas. So laziness, um, and then I, I'm assuming these people that have plagiarized have gotten away with it for a long time. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah so I, I think it's, you know, that we're God's warning and God's warning and God's warning. And finally, okay, I'm going to have to expose you. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a character. It's a crisis of character. And that's why your program right now, even this topic, is so important because I'm hoping this fosters some desperation in pastors. Me too. Some, some <laughs> repentance. Yes. Because uh, there's a lot of pastors, a lot of Christian leaders who listen to this program, and there has to be a convicting, a cutting of the heart to say, this is not right. I need to get back in the prayer closet. I need to schedule my life around God instead of scheduling everything else, and then hopefully he fits in there. And then through that conviction, through that transparency, through that repentance, they're then open again for a mighty moving of the Holy Spirit in their lives and in their hearts and in their sermons. That's right. Well, and you mentioned Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's one of my all-time favorites. You're, you're naming a lot of my all-time favorites, but Lloyd-Jones is is just head and shoulders above so many people. And he never went to seminary. He was a medical doctor. But if you read his sermons and you read his books, you know when you go away from those books that he spent time with the Lord. He wasn't just phoning it in. And boy, do we need more of that. That That is what is really missing, Shane. And I wonder how you are able to keep that fresh for yourself, to spend time with the Lord, to be poured out before him, to be humble before him, to be always in a position of confession and repentance before him and going to the word of God and ministering to your congregation. Because obviously you have a lot of demands on your time. How do you do it? Boy, oh boy. Um, Well, you've heard the word spiritual disciplines and you've talked to them. You've talked about them on your program. And those are there for a very good reason, because Paul said, you know, I discipline my body. I have to, I have to, you have to tell the flesh what to do, not the other way around. Yeah. So about 20 years ago, I got in the habit of, of getting up early. Um, and what that means is sometimes I don't do things in the evening late past 8.39 or events or always at someone's house or always going out, always on the town. You know, so there's a, there's a, there's a freshness to getting up in the morning, about 3.34 in the morning. So I have the first three hours 
to just um, read God's Word, to work on sermons, to put on worship. And many times I'll find myself on the floor, just, just God just pouring into my heart, praying for our nation, praying for revival. And so getting the heart right first thing in the morning for me, I mean, I'm a morning person, it might work better for uh, other people in the evening. And then also, Lord, keep me humble, keep me broken, keep me teachable, and going into meetings, wanting to learn and, and be, be taught and not always having the, the, the answer. And, not, and, and Lord, bring this pride into check and allowing our elders to speak into my life if they're seeing certain things. And so it's just a, it's a process of, of that desperation for more of God and, and staying broken, staying humble, staying pliable and usable. And, but it, you, ha- you have to turn off the social media and put on the things of God. Amen. You know, if I go to bed every night reading E.M. Bounds on prayer, mm. I'm going to wake up hungry. Yes, yes, absolutely. But if I got the, the latest um, Netflix series on, and which most pastors do, and they're up till 11 o'clock, and they're just not taking care of their spiritual health. It's then they good. wake up, and then, then there's no spiritual hunger. We're going to have to take a break. Shane Eidelman with us. Stay with us. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you in part by American Underdog from Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine, based on the true story of championship-winning quarterback Kurt Warner. American Underdog, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested in theaters everywhere Christmas Day. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, it seems simple. If you're not a pastor, you're just a layman in the pew. You expect your pastor to be spending time with the Lord and to be having that deep, intimate fellowship and to be able to go to the Word of God and use all of his learnedness to exegete the passage and and bring a word from the Lord to you when you come to church on Sunday or Bible study on Wednesday or whenever you happen to be at church. But it is really unfortunate that we have to acknowledge a crisis of leadership in America's pulpits. And we're talking it over with Shane Eidelman, who is founder and lead pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship. ShaneEidelman.com is his website. And he's also launching a new podcast called Pastors Unplugged. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, Shane, is something that you have addressed on speaking God's word faithfully. And you've talked about Jeremiah chapter 26 in this regard. Talk about that, if you would. What does it mean for a pastor to speak the word of God faithfully? Well, that's funny. I just uh, recorded that podcast today, and we're going to release it next week. Perfect. <laughs> on the exact same title. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, but, you know, it's, yeah, Jeremiah 23, 26. There's so much there. Speaking God's word faithfully um, has a few different dimensions. Obviously, what is God's word? And what, you know, God obviously means by it is the totality of his word. Yeah. Speaking his word faithfully, faithfully means all of it, meaning the pleasant things, but also the unpleasant things. It means the, the good things, but also the hard things. It means to speak about heaven, but also talk to people about hell. Yes. It, grace and mercy, but also judgment and holiness. So it's the person and the false prophets, uh, you know, you've, I've heard you talk about this before, is they actually were false prophets because they false they falsely said what God's heart was. In other words, peace, peace, hmm. but there's no peace, and God there's said. No peace. Yeah. You're, t- you're actually encouraging people in their sin. So speaking God's word faithfully is to be ready in and out of season, uh, of course, to be an encourager and a builder up, of someone who builds people up, but also 
faithfully means I'm going to shoot you straight, and I'm going to let the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God change your heart. I don't care about people's opinions or opinion polls. I'm not here to be popular. I'm here to, here's what God's Word says, and what is highly esteemed among men is, a, is, is an abomination in the sight of God. Right. So it, that word faithfully is in and out of season. It's uh, to talk about the difficult things and even the things that aren't difficult. It's to be able to, to, be able to rightly divide the Word of Truth. And um, that was, you know, there's a lot of signs now in Jude, uh, false prophets in the New Testament, you know, sensuality, and it's about their own game. But throughout the Old Testament, the primary uh, uh, reason a person was called a false prophet is because they did not warn people. They did not call them to repentance. And they themselves were apostate. They were encouraging. In other words, if somebody's caught in sin and you're encouraging that, hey, no problem, like with the the LGBTQ and all that, if all we're doing is encouraging them and allowing them to continue in sinful a sinful lifestyle, that is actually a mark of a false prophet throughout all of the Old Testament. Right, right. That's a great point. I think there also is the problem, Shane, and I know you're familiar with this, of not wanting to make your congregation mad at you. And I, I'm sure that that's a difficult thing because you don't want your congregation to be coming up after your sermon and yelling at you. Nobody wants that. But at the same time, if you're faithfully preaching the whole counsel of God, as you've just talked about, and preaching the word in season and out of season, as the Bible tells you to do, you have a responsibility. Sometimes people phrase it as, I, I am preaching to an audience of one, which is your responsibility is to make the Lord happy with your sermon, not to make the people people necessarily happy, but how do you manage the critiques that sometimes will come uh, for more pastors than others, maybe, when you do preach the hard truths of Scripture, which God has commanded you to preach? Oh, that was actually not too hard, uh, because what it, what it comes from, the hard truths must be underscored with brokenness and humility. And once the people see you love them, they see you're not angry and arrogant, but you're, you're a fellow sojourner. You're, you're, you're not preaching at them. Uh, you're preaching to them, to a, to a group of people, to all of us. But it was said of George Whitfield. I mean, his sermons are pretty hard. I have his journals. Yeah. Uh, but why were people so receptive? Because it was said that he often couldn't get through a sermon without tears. Mm. And so if you're, if, if it, as long as it's not arrogant and telling people off, but it's more of a coming from a loving, broken, gentle heart. The people can receive that very well, and they can tell, especially when God's anointing is on it versus anger and arrogance. And I've, I've, I've been guilty of that. I've preached in anger before, uh, and that's one thing that's really changed in my ministry over the last decade is just God continuing to break me and, and humble me and, and then being able to uh, preach with passion but also Love, and I think it's you have to equally balance the truth and love. Jesus was full of grace and truth, and so it's it's really saying, Lord, break my heart, give my heart, let my heart be tender for you, for the things that break your heart, but also not cowered away from what is happening. So all these political hot buttons and pastors shouldn't be political is all is all really um, really a facade yeah. to hide behind, uh, and, and, and it, it shows their cowardliness. Oh yeah, because Paul. The, the, the God's word hits on political buttons from the borders to who should lead our country, to the president of the United States, to the Supreme Court, to the laws of the land, to gay marriage, uh, to CT, uh, critical race theory, and all these things that are, are hey, that's not the pastor's job. It really is. Uh, and, you know, you just mentioned the, the Black Road Regiment. They used to... they They used to always preach on political hot buttons. Of course. Because... because <laughs> 
politics means governing or leading a group of people. So you're telling me that God's Word doesn't have anything to say about governing or leading? Actually, it has a lot to say about it. So, um, again, it all comes back back to not spending time in God's Word, not being broken by Him, not being filled with the Spirit. And then what we're seeing is that's where this wokeness is coming from. You know, that word is... Is I want to I, I gotta these, I gotta believe the narratives of the far left, or I've got to believe this this false narrative and that America's racist and all these things. And becoming woke means I'm, I'm very I'm not going to step on anybody's toes except the toes of Christians, of course. <laughs> but I'm not going to step on anyone else's toes. And I'm yeah. going to be politically correct, and that's that's not biblically correct. No, that's the scam of it, though. There have been a whole lot of hucksters, that's what I like to call them, who have risen to prominence in evangelical circles in the last decade, who scream and yell about the gospel should be above politics, and they're as far left as it gets, some of them. And they're fine with politics as long as you're not conservative and you don't vote for the GOP, as long as you're nuanced and and you're doing all the things that the leftist culture wants you to do, then, then you're really being biblical. I'm getting tired of that, Shane, and I think the bloom is off the rose for a lot of Christians who really are, if we want to coin a term, woke to what's been done to them inside the church by people who say we're against politics unless it's my politics and I'm more on the left because you people are an embarrassment. You Christian conservatives are just an embarrassment. I'm just over it. I I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm I'm really, really over it. Absolutely. And I often say the reason they don't like me speaking about politics is they don't like my politics. Bingo. But if you line up with their way of thinking, they're fine with it. Now, the gospel is the primary focus, of course. But when the gospel changes my heart, now I have a desire because of the gospel. Because of the gospel, I have a, I have a problem with shedding of innocent children, their blood. Right. I have a problem with sex trafficking in our borders. I have a problem with presidents who disregard God's word. And because of the gospel, I have a passion for all these things that are political. But they're biblical. Sure. I mean, are, are, you, are, you, are people suggesting that we remain silent about everything that's controversial just because it might be political? Yeah. Well, you know, everything no is nuanced, Jane. When everything is nuanced, then they can pick the subject you're talking about that they don't like and say, you need to tone it down because we need exactly. to be more nuanced. I'm over that, too. I'm pretty much yeah. over everything <laughs> in that regard. It's because it's not being faithful to the Bible. You're absolutely right. The gospel does come first. The, the, the gospel has to come first. And I get weary of hearing Jesus isn't a Democrat or a Republican as if none of us knew that. We, we all yeah. know that. That's not news to any of us. But the point is that when you're having some of the loudest voices of a critique coming from inside the church or inside certain Christian ministries or entities or denominations, then it really becomes discouraging because you have to jettison this idea that everybody who's part of a church and calls himself a Christian is going to be faithful to Scripture. And we know very, very well, Shane, that that's not necessarily the case. And I want to get into more on this. We do need to pause for yet another very, very quick break. But we'll come back with Shane Eidelman from Westside Christian Fellowship on this important subject of the crisis of leadership in the pulpits of America. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. 
the sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen and knowing that there's life growing inside. I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. And now through a match, your gift is doubled. All gifts are tax-deductible. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. These words written early in John's Gospel remind us in this Advent season that God sent His Son to be our Lord and Savior. But many Christians in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East have never read those words or the Christmas story in Luke 2. Why? Because they have no access to the Bible. So in this season of giving, please join Bible League in sending God's Word to bible believers around the world for only five $5 or $50 for 10 Bibles, $500 for 100. Call 800-YESWORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. There are those who have been looking for the scripture for a number of years. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. That's 800-YESWORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. You can check out more of Shane Eidelman's content at shaneidelman.com. He is founder and lead pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship. And you can also check out wcfradio.org along with his new podcast, Pastors Unplugged. Shane, we're talking about this crisis of leadership in the pulpits of America that I know is of concern to many, many Christians. One of the things that I want to touch on is when pastors are leading in the way that the Lord would have them lead, it obviously doesn't just affect their congregations or their denominations. It also affects the nation. What would you like to see pastors doing in order to take on a more proper leadership role? You look at these statistics, for example, in the most admired professions, and it used to be clergy was right at the top of the list, and clergy keeps sinking on that list as far as the highly regarded professions, if you want to call it that, in America, which is a tragedy. But what do we need to see from pastors in terms of leadership that would affect our nation on so many of these issues that you've mentioned? Well, a couple things stand out. Number one, I think a lot of us can become wrongly judgmental. And what I mean by that is we all think that such and such should be doing what I'm doing. Why aren't they more vocal? You know, you've got John MacArthur, John Piper, you know, not very, you know, not too political per se, but then you have Tony Perkins or Jack Hibbs. Jack Hibbs is a friend of mine and Rob McCoy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've got these other people being very vocal. And we've, we've got to do what God's called us to do. Right. And people might not share your same passion for politics or vice versa. But if we're faithful to what God has called us to do, that's where you'll see the change. Uh, but also, I I've, I've believe that COVID, along with the presidential uh, debacle here in January that happened, it, it's really breaking the church. Uh, people have, have got to either wake up and, and pick sides. 
And so I know a lot of pastors are really looking at what is really going on in their own spiritual health. And so it's going to have to come from some type of brokenness, some type of a repentance, some type of, um, of, of personal inventory in their own heart. So that's what needs to happen. You set a pastor on fire, he'll set the congregation on fire, and then that will go into the community, out into the, the state, and out into our nation. So it's really getting back to that, that point of being desperation and desperate and broken and humble, and that's what we're lacking. So that's what's hard to force. You know what I mean? I can't say, oh, here's what they need to do. You know, seven steps to financial, or, or seven steps to pastoral success. Yeah. You know, it's really, it, it need, they need to be broken. And then from that, from that brokenness is going to become a renewed fellowship with God, I believe. Yeah, you know, one of the things that also comes to mind is the fact that, you know, Jesus was very clear and the Word of God is very clear that the pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. God has given to all of us right. as his disciples um, the spiritual gifts to use to edify and build up the body of Christ and to make a difference. And you think of all the times that the Lord, you know, saying to Peter, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. You know, and you see in Scripture the, uh, you know, the admonition to shepherd the flock of God that is your charge. So much emphasis is placed in the New Testament on the pastor's responsibility to feed the sheep and care for the sheep and shepherd the sheep so they can do the work of ministry. What are some of your thoughts about a pastor equipping the saints to make it? Because obviously the pastor alone can't shake a nation. It's going to take every Christian being faithful to the Lord that's going to have an impact on a nation that really these days seems to be increasingly under judgment. What are your thoughts along those lines? As, as soon as you were saying that, I, my mind instantly went to the book of Acts, where we're not called to wait on tables. We're called to minister to people, but also to spend time in the Word of God and prayer. And then from that 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 inflowing of God's Word and the Holy Spirit and prayer comes the outflowing of equipping the saints. So, yes, I think a lot of pastors need to prioritize their whole life. They're too busy. And if you're too busy to put God first, you're too busy. So they've got to make some adjustments. How can I properly first care for my own spiritual health? How can I, can I get, again, desperate for God and, and powerful sermons and all-night prayer meetings and times of revival and renewal and restoration? How can I get that, and then how can I get it out to the people? Uh, because that'll be the work of the Holy Spirit, really. Once they submit to what God wants to do, then God will begin to work in the hearts of individuals within their congregation. Well, that's good. And and talking about revival, which I know we've discussed before, that really is so heavy on my heart. Lord, bring us another revival. I've never seen a true widespread revival in my lifetime. Um, I know you go back to the Jesus movement in Southern California, and many Christians say that was the last time we really saw a true revival. I think all of us long for another revival, which is a work of the Spirit, and that's clearly something we need to pray for. But do you think we'll see one, Shane? I know we don't know for sure anything. We don't know what the Lord has willed for this country or the state of the church, whether or not he will awaken us and revive us again. But where do we begin in that regard to pray for that? Because when you look at the history of revivals, it always seemed to have started with prayer and and the, the heart of God being something that all of us as Christians want to bring down. Lord, we know you want people saved and discipled. Give us that same passion and that same missionary spirit that you had, you know, even in the book of Jonah. What about that whole issue of revival? Well, yeah, and on my website, I do have probably a dozen recent articles I've written on revival, why revival is our only hope. Uh, And it's a hard one because 
I don't think God is going to give us promises and give us the desire for these things without that coming to fruition. What I mean by that is you look at, you know, if I read Jonathan Edwards, even his journal or Wesley or Whitfield, they talked about the decadence of society, that right. religion was nowhere to be found in the streets, drunkenness was abounding, uh, prostitution, America's darkest hour was here. You know, that these are their words. Um, and, and so often in the darkness, the darker it is, the greater the need for revival. And this with COVID, with the election results, with all these things that people are counting on, I believe that God is breaking and breaking and breaking so we can pray like the prophets. Oh, God, would you rend the heavens again? Mm-hmm. Isaiah, let rend the heavens and come down like you used to come down, Lord. And our responsibility, though, is not to bring the rain, but it's to prepare the soil the soil of our hearts, and I believe that God can rend, rend the heavens and come down again. I believe that, um, of course, we don't know for certain, but I believe because of the desire of, of so many people and the, the decadence of society and that God's not giving up on us and the remnant of the church and these desire for prayer meetings. And we actually, in October, we had services every night of the week for two weeks okay. at 6 p.m., and the, the, the altar was full, two, three-hour services. It was definitely a, a major revival in our bondage. Um, but we need that on a big, larger scale uh, for that to happen. So, yes, I'm actually very, because we don't look at, you know, we don't, we don't just quit and give up. God encourages us to press in, seek, and, and it really does take a lot of this. this what's going on is, um, it's almost inexplainable, from the crime to the sexual perversion to the decadence to the sex trafficking to the abortion. People are actually excited about killing babies. <laughs> I mean, it breaks your heart. And so, yeah. but through that brokenness that God keeps breaking and breaking, that eventually my hope is that he would rend the heavens. But it doesn't mean, here's where I think we make the mistake. It doesn't mean utopia. Right. It doesn't mean America of the 1950s. There's going to be, it's going to be one hellish fight, because where God is moving, so is Satan. Mm-hmm. So I think you can see tremendous works of the Spirit, but here comes crime and, and just and, and just uh, school shootings, and, but now God's working, and so I don't think you're going to see a utopia, and that, people get frustrated with that. I think the kingdoms are colliding. The kingdom of darkness, is, the time is, is gearing up. But it's coming closer and closer to that final day of judgment. So I, I think there's going to be great hope and great revival and great restoration, but it doesn't mean they might not pack the Supreme Court. Yes. <laughs> but it doesn't mean we might not get our person in office. Yeah. It doesn't, you know what I mean? It doesn't mean that, uh, and I'm worried kind of about China and Russia. Sure. I mean, they are uh, very bold right now, and we've got a person in office who is not going to command that respect. And so I don't know what the future holds, but thank God we know who holds the future. And I do think we're going to see pockets of revival uh, spreading. I mean, think about it. We're in Los Angeles County in California, and so are some other great churches, and we are making a huge uh, dent into our state, and Larry Elder um, yeah. did not uh, get the the election for the governor, uh, the recall, and all of that. And people are like so disappointed. But I think God is showing us our hope is not going to be in a person, or in a political process, or in 2022, or in 2024. Although those things are vitally important, but we've got to put Christ back on the throne and get God back in the place of our hearts, and then and only then will we see, I believe, that the wellspring of revival flowing through. 
Very well said, Shane. I, I think I don't remember the original source. They were talking about plagiarism. This isn't my original quote, but I remember reading this great quote saying Christians should be at their best when the times are at their worst. And I really believe that. And I'm glad that you are out there, Shane, and holding forth Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, which is so vital in these days, just like it's always been vital, but we don't know how soon the Lord will return. So thank you so much. ShaneEidelman.com. Shane, thank you so much for being with us. God bless you. Thank you. Have a great time. You too. God bless you. This hour, Janet Meffer today has been brought to you in part by American Underdog from Lionsgate and the team that brought you I Can Only Imagine. Based on the true story of championship winning quarterback Kurt Warner, American Underdog rated PG parental guidance suggested in theaters everywhere Christmas Day. Thanks so much for being with us.